This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to John, the eighth chapter. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a boy, Reformation Day at our little Lutheran church was the occasion for the pastor to bash the Catholics and to celebrate how much better the Lutheran theology and practice was by contrast. Well, so when I would walk past the Catholic church just a few blocks away, I wondered what strange things were going on inside there. It seemed to be a foreboding and even scary place. Now, ironically, the arrogance of the approach taken by many of our churches then is totally out of sync with the theology of the Lutheran Reformation. We certainly give thanks for the courage and faith of Martin Luther, but that gratitude is not a celebration of Luther himself or even of the Lutheran Church. What we celebrate and give thanks for is the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ, which the Reformation lifted up. In our own day, we can now be thankful that the evolution of the Reformation heritage has led to closer ties with the Roman Catholic Church. And I enjoy that development every time I sit down for drinks with the retired priest who is my neighbor. Our reading from Romans 3 lays the groundwork for the doctrine of justification so central to the Reformation. What Paul says there in Romans is that we are justified, that is, made right with God by grace without the works of the law, through faith. Salvation in Christ is Christ's amazingly gracious gift. And faith under the urging of the Spirit Trust one's life to that promise. Luther and those who stood with him saw that the doctrine and practices of the Church of Rome were obscuring that truth, and it was imposing acts of penance and satisfaction upon the people that caused them to worry about their status before God. They were gripped by terror and doubt. So the Reformation, in large measure, was a pastoral concern for troubled spirits and not just a theological reformation. 
And Luther himself went through a period of doubt and fear under the yoke of that theology before he discovered the liberating gospel according to Romans. It was the Bible then that led the way out of the burdens of Rome's doctrine. For Luther and the other reformers, the Bible was the final authority, not the Pope or councils of church leaders. So we have then word alone in addition to grace alone and faith alone as the foundation stones of Reformation theology. Now, as I said earlier, things have changed for the better. In 1999, representatives of the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran World Federation adopted the Joint Declaration on Justification, essentially agreeing on the doctrine that had been the heart of the Reformation debate. Gone now are the mutual condemnations that flew back and forth over the centuries. We no longer demonize each other. Our churches of the Reformation, other churches of the Reformation, have also affirmed this declaration. And this is a great step for unity, the unity of the church in the proclamation of the gospel at a time when, the ex- when expressions of unity are very desperately needed. And that is something to celebrate this day. Now, unity and reconciliation, despite differences and diversity, requires humility. When one lives with the faith and trust that you live by grace alone, and one recognizes that you have, as St. Paul said, nothing at all to boast of. The Japanese theologian Kasuke Koyama wrote a book called No Handle on the Cross in which he speaks of those Christians who place a a handle on the cross as though it were their briefcase with tools of their trade. Then, or theirs uh, theirs is an evangelism of paternalistic superiority. Handling the cross and its message so it can be manipulated and intimidating. I am a true Christian with the authentic Christian teaching in all matters of faith and morals. If you don't agree with me, you are not a true Christian. This makes the promise of the gospel into a law, a law to be obeyed by right thinking. With this sort of arrogant absolutism, There is no compassion or openness. There is only detachment and self-satisfaction. By contrast, the followers of Jesus carried the cross, Koyama said, as he did, with openness and compassion, placing no restrictions on love. Here there is no handle on the cross as though they could possess it and use it for their own gain. Rather, they embrace it, and seeing their own desperate need in the truth of the cross, are humble and grateful. Koyama's vivid image echoes Luther's contrast between theologians of glory and theologians of the cross. The theology of glory is one of self-satisfied certitude. 
But those who live the theology of the cross bear the attitude of gratitude and humility, confident in God's grace. They are open to others who have different opinions or who are different because of who they are. They seek the ties that bind, not the differences that divide. The theology of glory and those who live by it divide people between in and out, us and them. And this is demonic. The demonic divides. It sets people against one another just as it tried to set us against God. But God will have none of it. God will have none of it. God has reconciled the world through God's self. The welcoming hospitality we practice here and in all our churches makes the point. It punctuates the truth that the sacrifice we remember in the Eucharist is a foretaste of the final unity. And the unity we seek now points to that hope of the promised future. God has set us free from captivity to self-justification, from the need to save ourselves, from captivity to the theologians of glory. God has set us and sent us out with that message of freedom. In his treatise on the freedom of the Christian, Luther wrote that Christians are perfectly free, subject to none, and also at the same time, perfectly dutiful servants of all. Knowing that we are accepted by God, that we are made right with God by grace alone, means we are free from the condemnation of God's law and free from self-concern. We are free to bind ourselves in love to our neighbors. In the freedom of the gospel, a love that is uncoerced, It is a love that imitates Christ. It is the way of true evangelism. In Luther's time, as I said earlier, when the gracious promise of the gospel was obscured by church doctrines, people had a real fear of the condemnation of of God's law for their sins and penalties of purgatory or worse. The church then played on those fears and sold indulgences, a remission of penalties based on the merits of the saints. By purchasing indulgences, you could shorten the loved one's time in purgatory. They even had a slogan, every time a coin in the coffer rings, another soul heavenward springs. In our modern time, I doubt that such fears are in the forefront for as many people as back then. And yet guilt and shame remain a reality. Many combat veterans, we are discovering, are struggling with what is called moral injury, having been involved in or even just witnessed something drastically at odds with their core values. These veterans are spiritually wounded, whether they are religious or not. They feel condemned by their experience, even if by the rules of war they had done nothing wrong. And there are also commonplace sources of fear. We feel, and, and guilt, we feel the pressures of life to measure up as students, as spouses, as parents, as persons in the workplace. And failure is painful. 
and a hard blow to self-worth. In Arthur Miller's play, Death of a Salesman, the main character, Willie Loman, a salesman, worships the god of success. He desires ardently to be rich and well-liked. Instead, he is rejected and dogged by failure until he finally commits suicide. And sadly, his wife cries out, we were just about to pay off the mortgage. The gods of this world have strict laws, and they are unforgiving. Life is so easily broken. It is so fragile. While some may blame their problems on everyone else, deep down most feel convicted. The need for the liberating power of the gospel is as great now as it was in 1517 when Luther posted his famous 95 Theses. And once again, we who breathe the free air of God's grace and feel the pulse of divine love in the heart of our being We are called to be bound to the neighbor, bound to share that good news in whatever way we can, by sharing our faith, by acts of kindness and caring, sometimes simply by presence and empathetic listening. Being bound in love for the neighbor is a gospel blessing. It means we all have a vocation. And this is another breakthrough of the Reformation, the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Prior to this time, only priests and others in holy orders were considered to have a calling from God. Now all have a calling to be God's people as witnesses to the gospel, not just the ordained. We were all ordained in our baptism, ordained to the ministry of the whole people of God. And with this breakthrough... The Reformation of the Reformation, life suddenly took on meaning for all people in God's economy. Since Vatican II especially, this Reformation theme is a part of Roman Catholic understanding as well. It is a true blessing, a high honor. As First Peter puts it, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were no people, now you are God's people. The occupations of life, parents, children, jobs, profession, citizenship, All are venues for the service of love so integral to our vocation. The capacity for forgiveness in our family life, combining justice and sympathy for one's employees, the teacher that goes the extra mile for our struggling student, the caregiver who refuses to let frustration end caring, parents and sponsors, who nurture their children in the Christian faith, and those whose service in the congregation creates a spirit of welcome and context for worship and witness. All these things and so many more we could mention are part and parcel of the ministry of the whole people of God. Our calling extends to all of life. The distinguished Canadian theologian, 
Douglas John Hall wrote a little memoir called Bound and Free. And in it he recalls sitting on a plane next to a businessman, and at length his seat partner asked the inevitable question, what do you do for a living? Hall writes, I usually lie. However, this time, he decided not to avoid talking about theology, which he found was often an awkward conversation for many. He decided to give the full story of what Christian theology is all about. And after he finished, his companion said, it must be wonderful to think about absolutely everything. And indeed it is. God's love and mercy extend to everything. Nothing is outside God's concern and care. So it is also for the faithful, not only in matters of human need, but in science, in the arts, the care of the earth, and the policies of government. The Reformation continues as in the freedom of the gospel vocation, we are part of a global Christian community who with our varied gifts and opportunities are concerned with all that goes on in God's world. We are free to be so concerned. We are bound to be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.